Our gospel reading this morning is from Matthew 12, verses 22 through 37. This is uh, in the middle of uh, Jesus going around preaching and healing and teaching and uh, doing miracles with, as usual, mixed response. There are those who uh, see and believe, and there are those who have hard hearts toward him and... uh, well, you know. Anyway, this is Matthew twelve, twenty-two through 37. Before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made, and God, we thank you for your word which you have given to us. Lord, we pray that this morning you would help us to be able to hear your word, to really hear it, or to listen Uh, as though our lives depend on it. Lord, we hear so many words that um, that are untrue or that are a distortion of the truth, trying to twist things around in order for somebody else to gain an advantage. And we are all vulnerable. Lord, help us not to be shaped by the lies. Lord, help us to be those who have our ears and our hearts tuned to the truth. Lord, help us to hear from you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew 12, 22 through 37. Then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him, so that he could both talk and see. All the people were astonished and said, Could this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, It is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. And every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he's divided against himself. How then can, this, can his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your people drive them out? So then, they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or again, How can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can plunder his house. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. And so I tell you, every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven, but blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Make a tree good, and its, free, and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is, rec- is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers. How can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, 
By your words, you will be condemned. Turning then to Revelation 22, going all the way to the end of the Bible, the very last chapter, maybe even the last page. Revelation 22, verses 1 through 5, in John's vision, he says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I don't know if you've ever had the experience of walking in uh, into a room where somebody is already watching a movie. They are in the middle of the movie, and you think, oh, this looks interesting. Maybe I'll stick around and see how this goes. And then you find yourself in the middle of this movie being thoroughly confused by what's going on. And so you keep saying to them, hey, why did he do that? Why would she say that to him? Oh, do they not like each other? Is that the thing? Well, what's going on? And you have all these questions, and the person who you're talking to who's already been watching the movie is, you know, trying to patiently answer them at first, and then eventually just like, you know, you're just going to have to watch it again later. Like, you, you have to see the whole thing. If you, if you don't see it from the beginning, it's not going to make any sense. You've had this experience, right? Sometimes you've been the one walking in. Sometimes you're the one being annoyed. <laughs> We've had this experience. I think it's a uh, great description of what it's like just to be born now, this day and age, uh, when we try to make sense of the world. And we have a lot of questions, don't we? Why are things the way they are? Why do people treat each other the way we treat each other? Why is it that things seem so not the way they ought to be? How did it get this way? And that's where, uh, again and again, it seems like Scripture is saying to us, you know, you really got to read the whole thing. You got to go back to the beginning. And so that's one of the things that we've been doing. We have gone back to the beginning. We started in Genesis 1 a couple weeks ago, and we are working our way through. And as I've mentioned every week, we do not have time to deal with every question that comes up that uh, Scripture uh, has before us. But what we're going to do is just try to tell the whole story, uh, the big picture of the story. And so as we get to each, uh, each new section, we're looking for how does this particular story, or how does this particular section move that story forward? And yes, there are a lot of other things that are going on there, and most of those we're just going to leave unaddressed. If you want to talk about them, oh my goodness, let's talk about them. But on Sunday mornings, we're just following the story through. And this morning, <clears throat> we really do get the Bible's answer uh, to the question that, uh, that everybody asks at some point in their life, what is wrong with this world? <laughs> or what is wrong with me? Or what is wrong with that guy over there? Whatever the question is, the what is wrong question is answered in Genesis 3. That's what we're looking at 
uh, this morning. And we're not just going to look at what is wrong, but also um, kind of answer to it. But we're going to spend some time here this morning. Genesis 3, verses 1 through 24. Let's hear it first, all together, um, and then we'll go through it more carefully. And I would request that as many times as you may have read this or heard this before, that you would do your best to hear it this morning as though hearing it for the first time. We have already talked about, uh, in Genesis 1, about a God who created everything good, created everything on purpose, created everything with a purpose, and how everything worked. It was all, uh, there was a place for everything, everything in its place, everything was going as it's supposed to go, and God said it's very good. We saw last week in chapter 2 how God is personally involved with his creation. And what we saw at the end of, uh, by the end of chapter 2 is we had male and female created in the image of God who were in right relationship with God and with each other and with all of creation. Everything as it's supposed to be. God involved with his good and perfect creation. This is how, what the story has been telling us thus far. Now chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. Well, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, Cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. 
Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam, na- Adam named his wife Eve, because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the garden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Ugh. Last week it all ended so well. Everyone was where they were supposed to be, doing what they were supposed to be, in right relationship with God and with each other and with all of creation. But it didn't stay that way. And so instead, uh, we have kind of the, the initial, the original crime drama. We're going to look at this uh, kind of in those terms. Here's the, um, the structure of this particular chapter. Look at how the trap is set, the deed is done, the arrest is made, the trial is given, the judgment is pronounced, and the sentence is carried out. We could probably spend a week on each of these. We're not going to. We're just going to go quickly through it. In, chapter, or in verses 1 through 5, we have the trap being set. For some reason, this snake starts talking to the woman. Why is there a snake talking to? We don't know, and we're not going to go there. But there is. There's a snake talking to the woman. And, uh, and what is it that the snake says? Oh, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And is that what God had said? It's not, is it? And so this is the setting of the trap. All... Um, that's going on here is the serpent is planting the seeds of doubt in the woman's mind. The seeds of doubt. Can I trust what God has said? Can I trust him to be good and to give me the things that I need? Or not? What God had actually said Um, this is chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. It says, And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. This is what God has said. So then the snake comes in. The serpent says, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Clearly not. (laughs) And her response starts out well. And she says, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. In fact, they are commanded to eat from any tree. We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. That you notice the difference between what God had said and what she says God said. He did say, 
you must not eat from it or you will die. What she says is, he said, you must not eat from it and you must not touch it or you will die. Do you see the difference? It seems innocent, doesn't it? If it's not good to eat from it, well, then let's go a step farther and not even touch it, right? This is exactly the kind of thing that the Pharisees were doing in regards to the Sabbath. God has said, this is how to keep the Sabbath holy. And they said, well, if, if you can't do you know, work, then let's make sure that we you know, detail that all out and actually remove ourselves so far from doing any work that we could not possibly do any good. And not only are we going to do that, but we're going to claim that that's what God said. And so we have kind of our own interpretations of what God has said, and then we claim that that's what God said. This is what Eve is doing. She has added an extra step and then claims that's what God is saying. Why is that a problem? One, because it's it's not true. (laughs) But two, think about this. If she says, God has said, if you touch it, you're going to die, but God did not say that, and then she touches it and there's no consequences, then it makes it seem like, oh, well, God is wrong. Maybe God can't be trusted after all. But it's really her that was wrong. Does that make sense? We do this all the time. We add things to what God has said, and then we equate that with what God has said. We need to be very careful here. One of the consequences of that, uh, even when we have the best of intentions in doing it, the consequence is, it undermines the authority of the word of God. God's word stands. Our words don't. We need to be careful. She's not careful. And she says, you know, oh, you must not touch it or you'll die. And then here the trap really gets set. Where then uh, the serpent provides a different way of looking at the situation. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God knowing good and evil. And now it's set. And the question that uh, the woman has to ask is, am I going to believe God or am I going to believe this snake? Right? That's the question. Who is she going to believe? Now, does she have reason at this point to believe that God can be trusted? Yes, everything that he has done this, to this point says, yes, he can be trusted. Does she have reason to believe that the snake can be trusted? No. No, he's just some, some snake that shows up and starts saying, hey, what if you think about it a different way? I'm just asking questions. And in this moment, she goes, against uh, the, the track record of God, against trusting him, and instead she trusts the snake. Verse 6, the deed is done. So when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. This is one of those patterns. I had never noticed this pattern until it was pointed out to me um, by one of the Bible Project videos. There is a pattern throughout the scripture of people who see something, they desire it, and they take it. And it's straight from this. She sees that the fruit is good for these following reasons. She desires it, and so she takes it. 
but it's not hers, is it? And this is where I was saying last week that uh, I do wonder if this tree is, uh, if the fruit of this tree is something that they were going to be allowed to eat later. That maybe it's a don't eat from it yet. I don't know. But I know that there are plenty of things like that uh, that we do with kids as they're growing up where we say, no, you can't have this. That is dangerous. But because you're a kid, <laughs> as you grow up, as you learn more uh, responsibility, etc., it's a good thing for you to have. Um, I have no problem allowing my 17-year-old to drive our vehicles. I would have had a big problem with him driving those same vehicles, you know, 12 years ago. <laughs> and I wonder if this is uh, something like that. But whatever it is, whatever the reason God has said no, God has said no. And she does otherwise. I don't see any reason why I shouldn't have some. And she and Adam both take and eat, and the world is never the same. The eyes of both of them were open, just like the snake said. But unlike what the snake said, they were opened not to good things. They were opened to shame and distrust and lies and fear and anxiety. Think about this. To this point, they could trust each other completely. But now that they've done this, they know they can't be trusted. And you may have heard it said, you know, somebody who uh, gossips to you will gossip about you, right? The same kind of thing, someone who steals with you wants to keep them from stealing from you. Adam and Eve are having that kind of an eye-opening experience. We did this thing together, but this thing was not good. And now we realize the evil that we are capable of. And if we could do this to God, we can do this to each other. This is a problem. This is a breakdown. What we talked about before of how everything was, you know, the people were in right relationship with God and with each other and with all of creation, not anymore. When the deed is done, they realize they're naked. They try to cover it the best they can. And then, verse 8, the arrest is made. As sad as that previous section was, this one's even sadder. When God comes and he calls to them, uh, or when they hear them, here's the Lord God coming in. It says, they hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden. Why are they hiding? Because of sin and shame and fear, they know they've done wrong. And judgment is coming. Think about this. Are you glad to see the police show up? Depends, right? If you are in danger, 
someone is uh, threatening you, attacking you, you know, whatever it is, and you have called the police and they show up, oh, you're so glad they're there. <laughs> Good. Deal with this. If you're the one who is doing wrong and the police show up, you're not at all excited about it, are you? This is... Um, This is the situation. They know they've done wrong, and he calls them out on it. Where are you? They're not where they're supposed to be. And he says, I was afraid, because I was naked, so I hid. And then the trial is given. God gives them a chance to own up to what they've done. (laughs) Who told you you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The questions that he's asking just pierce right through, don't they? And yet, instead of owning it, they kind of own it. They both admit that they ate, but not until after trying to shift the blame onto somebody else. Yeah, yeah, I did it, but only because of, you know, she's the one who gave it to me. And you're the one who gave her to me, so really, you know, if you think about it, it's not mine fault at all. Turns to the woman the same thing. Well, the serpent, that's the one who deceived me. I mean, I really, you know, if I'd been thinking straight, if I'd been seeing straight, if I hadn't been deceived by the serpent, you know, of course I would have made the right decision. But under the circumstances, you can understand. So yes, they admit they did it. <laughs> no, they're not accepting blame. And God is not fooled. There is no self-justifying that's going to undo this mess. And so verse 14, and following the judgment is pronounced, and God starts in reverse order. He started with the man, and then the woman, and then the serpent, is who got kind of the blame was. And he starts with the serpent. And you know in this moment, Adam and Eve are both like, oh, whew, it worked. It's just the serpent who's going to get in trouble for this. And we're in the clear after all. That's not how it goes at all. It starts with the serpent. Cursed are you. And then to the woman. I will make your pains very severe. And then to Adam. Cursed is the ground because of you. And then he ends by saying, until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. The judgment is guilty. You did the deed. And then verses 20 to 24, the sentence is carried out. In um, in verse 23, it says, The Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he'd been taken. Why are they banished from the garden? Why are they banished from the garden? Why do they have to go into exile from the place that God had prepared for them? It's because there's two trees in this garden. I mean, amongst all the others. Two that have been named. 
the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which they have eaten from, that they should not have. This is what broke everything. But there's another tree, the tree of life. God says he must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. There is a brokenness in this relationship. There is a separation from God that has occurred. And in God's mercy, he says, he should not be able to live forever in separation from me. What is that? What is that? An eternal separation from God is a one way of describing hell, right? And God said, no. He needs to not live in eternal separation from me, but there are consequences. And so he sends him out of the garden and says he places uh, on the east side of the garden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. wish we could talk more about that. We won't. But the purpose is to guard the way to the tree of life so that people would not live in eternal separation from God. But then the question remains, well, I mean, that's where the chapter ends, so now what? Right? Where do we go from here? I would take that away. Um, and that's really what the whole rest of the story is about is where do we go from here? Do we just continue to die and everything is meaningless? If you read the book of Ecclesiastes, that's kind of the way that it's approached. It says, you know, if, if all we do is we're born and we do whatever and then we die and that's it, what's the point? We're all just like vapor, like smoke, here for a little bit and then gone, and that's it. And it almost seems like that might be the way that Genesis 3 ends. But there's hope. Part of the hope is in, uh, is in God actually exiling the people, taking them out of the garden so that <laughs> he does not want them to live eternally separated from him. But we also see that he has a plan. When I was, uh, oh, like, fifth grade, maybe, I had made a, well, I didn't make it. We had this in uh, our kids' class Bible study thing. We had these ceramic goblets that were quite ornate, and we each got to, you know, glaze them. And, uh, and so I had mine, and I liked it. I liked it a lot. And it was sitting up high on a shelf, and uh, one day I was bouncing a rubber ball in the house like you're not supposed to. And um, sure enough, hit that goblet, which came off the high shelf and right onto the tile floor. I don't know if you know what happens when ceramic meets tile. <laughs> yeah. The goblet shattered into lots and lots of pieces. And I was heartbroken. <laughs> and my family was getting ready to leave to go somewhere, like a movie or something, I don't know. And I stayed. I didn't go with them. I stayed home with the super glue. I was going to make this right. I was going to put it back together. And I did. Piece by piece, 
I actually reassembled the entire goblet. And when I was finished, it actually looked terrible. (laughs) It was such a jumbled mess of everything not quite where it's supposed to be. Like you could tell it was supposed to be a goblet, but other than that, not so much. This is the kind of mess that has been made. Uh, it's easy to think if you're somebody who likes taking stuff apart and uh, working with it and putting it back together, you might get to the point where you think, I can do that about anything. I can take anything apart, put it back together. Um, this is not the situation here. This is a situation like if you crack an egg. Can you put that back together? Can you uncrack the egg? And the answer is no, only God can uncrack the egg. The problem that has been created here through people listening not to God but to the other voice has caused a situation of brokenness throughout all of creation. And they can't fix it. They can't fix it. There's no amount of super glue that's going to put it back together. But, verse 15, in speaking to the serpent, God says, I will put enmity between, the, between you and the woman, between her, your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. There's a big, long um, like Latin word talking about how this is the first hint of the gospel. In other words, there is at least some hint of the plan that God has that this is not the end of the story. Yes, there's brokenness, but brokenness will not be the end of the story. That where we are headed is for a time when evil will be fully and finally dealt with. This is what we see then when uh, Paul writing in Galatians talks about um, when the time had fully come, God sent forth his son born of woman. Why does he say that? Isn't everybody born of woman? Sure. (laughs) This is why he says that. Because Jesus, in the fullness of time, came to defeat evil. He's the one who can actually put things back together, who can heal the relationship that we have broken between God and ourselves, between us and each other, between us and all creation. Jesus is the one who can put it all back together. Restoration. And it's actually in Christ that we have life again. And we talk about that, eternal life. (laughs) Eternal life in our sin is not good. That's what we saw here. But eternal life with sin having been dealt with fully and finally is very good. This is what we saw at the end of Revelation. Uh, We're looking at Revelation 22. We see that tree of life show up again. Did you catch that? On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every, every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. What's this talking about? It's Genesis chapter 3. Now, one thing we need to make sure uh, that we understand about this passage 
is Adam and Eve are representing all of humanity. And we talked about that some last week. But it's really important for us to understand that here. Because it's easy to read this story at a distance and fall into the same trap they fell into of trying to blame somebody else. Well, the reason for this mess is because they did that. Which is true on one level. On the other hand, they represent us because guess what? We do this too. We are all in the same situation. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. Not following God, following our own way. But it's Jesus, the one who did battle with the devil himself in the wilderness, being tempted as we are, and yet being without sin. It says, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. There is a way for all of this mess to get fixed. But it's not our way of fixing things. He has a way. And so the question for, uh, for us is, do we trust? It's the same question as always is, do we trust? Do we trust him? Do we trust his way? That he will provide what is needed. We will go on in the weeks to follow to see where the story goes, but this is, that's the question I want to leave us with. Is do we trust the redemption and the restoration that Jesus provides, taking care of our sin on the cross, where one day uh, even every trace of evil will be dealt with fully and finally, and all will be well. Do we believe this? Do we trust him in this? And can we walk uh, in confidence towards this today in the midst of the messes we face and even in the midst of the messes we make? Can we trust him? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.